Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name's Andy, if I've not got to meet you yet, and I'm the Assistant Minister here at Inspire. It's great to have you with us as we are in our second week of a three-week series thinking about the Apostles' Creed. So last week, um, we thought about the first part of the Apostles' Creed, which says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. This week, we're thinking about the middle part, which is much longer. So here it is on the screen to remind you, here's what we're going to look at today. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So lots in there. Um, let's pray for God's help before we dive in. Father, we praise you that for us to believe in you is not about closing our eyes, but opening them. The reality of the world, of who you are, and of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. So please, by the power of your spirit, open our eyes now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Ten years ago, um, a little old lady called Bryony Nearop Redding lived in a beautiful Norfolk village in a bungalow by the sea. Lovely place to live. The bungalow was beautifully built. There was one problem. Her house fell into the sea. Let's have a look. Nothing wrong with the house. Nothing wrong with the bungalow at all, built fine. But as the cliffs were eroded over time, it didn't have any foundations anymore. It's on thin air rather than solid ground. And without firm foundations, it doesn't matter how nice your house is, it doesn't matter how nice the view is, you can't live there. Bryony had to move out. She was pretty grumpy about it. I read the, the BBC News article. Um, now, here's the thing. The, the world tells us that Christianity is like Bryony's house. That it might be quite a nice place um, to live, but it's built on thin air. It's a hangover from the past, and the waves of science and reason have over time worn away any firm foundation for being a Christian. And I wonder if sometimes we think that maybe the world's right. That Christianity is a nice thing to believe, and maybe it helps us. But if we look down, is there anything solid beneath our feet? Is the Christian faith grounded in the reality of the world? Is it true? Really actually true? Or is it perhaps just something that helps us to believe that it's true? It helps us to think it's true? Well, this section of the Apostles' Creed provides us with all the reassurance we could need that Christianity is capital T true, <laughs> that it is a firm foundation on which we can build our lives. And more than that, it points to the reality that actually it is the only firm foundation on which any human being can choose to build their life. That any other foundation will eventually be swept into the sea. That in fact, the, the only place to build your life, to start with, is the Jesus of history. 
the Jesus of history. I think perhaps the most two, surpri- the two most surprising words that we find in the creed are Pontius Pilate. Right? We confess that, that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. And that means that Christians all over the world for 2,000 years have been naming the fifth governor of the obscure Roman province of Judea. Why? Because the apostles and the early church wanted to be absolutely clear that their faith and our faith is grounded in real historical events, in things that happened in a real place, Judea, at a real time under the governorship of Pontius Pilate. This is not a fairy story. This is history. Have a a look with me uh, to the first reading we had um, read for us by Tom. Um, So turn back to page 1156, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, and I'm going to start reading from verse 3 when I get there. Here we go. So here's Paul writing to the church in Corinth 20 years, maybe slightly less, after um, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And here's what Paul says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. The good news of Christianity, Paul's saying, is founded on this set of historical events that are of first importance. Jesus Christ really died for our sins. He was really buried, completely dead, and he rose from the grave on the third day. He appeared to the apostles and then to many others. And as a side note, it's not hard to see where the Apostles' Creed comes from, right? Here it is, AD 50-something, in its kind of embryonic form, already there in 1 Corinthians. And so, so what we're doing when we confess the Creed is we're following Paul and all the other Christians between us and Paul in saying, yes, this happened. Jesus died, Jesus rose. And as we do that, we're on firm historical ground. And um, if you've listened to The Rest is History, the podcast, that's better. At the 11 o'clock, it was just me. I was like, what's going on? Um, It's the number one, do you know it's the number one podcast in the UK, most downloaded podcast in in the country? Um, Tom Holland, who's the author and historian, one of the presenters, said in an episode last month that no serious historian doubts that Jesus existed. No serious historian doubts that Jesus lived, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and was buried. That's just historical fact, uncontested historical fact. Now, of course, the bit that comes next on the third day he rose again, that, that is contested. Not everyone's going to agree with that, nor, nor all historians are going to agree with that. But crucially, that's not because of a difference in the amount of evidence. It really isn't. Um, Tom Wright, the Christian scholar, at the end of his 700-page book on the resurrection, basically, he makes this case that he says, look, given the historical evidence for the empty tomb, the fact that no one's produced the body, given the historical evidence for the site of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and I use his words here, the obvious historical explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead. The obvious explanation. He states that if it wasn't for the supernatural character of the resurrection, we, that is historians, scholars, would accept it without a moment's hesitation. It fits the other evidence so well. In other words, the main reason that historians reject the resurrection is that they've come with a prior faith commitment 
that that kind of thing just doesn't happen. It takes a leap of faith not to believe the resurrection. And so this part of the creed, when we say that Jesus was crucified, died and was buried, and then that he rose on the third day, what we're seeing, what we're we're sharing together is the firm foundation that God has given us for our faith. This is true. It really happened. This is a foundation that is rooted in the unchanging reality of history and so can never be swept into the sea. Jesus really did die and he really did rise and nothing can change that. Now, normally in our, in our normal Christian lives, there are lots of ways that we know and experience the truth of Christianity. We open our Bibles and God speaks to us somehow, amazingly, through his word. We pray and we know that we're not speaking to ourselves, that God listens. We come to church, we experience the presence of God. We see his work in our lives and in the lives of others, a transformation that's not explainable any other way. All these different reasons we know that Christianity is true. But sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we, we don't feel God's presence. It doesn't feel like God's with us. Sometimes we don't see God's work in our lives or in the lives of others. Well, to that point, we can look down and see the firm, unchanging, rock-solid foundations beneath our feet. Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose in accordance with the scriptures. That is just fact, and it's not going to change. It's rock-solid. It's one good reason to memorize the creed. So that when you're not sure how you feel about Jesus, you can look down. On the third day, he rose again. It's true. But the fact that our faith is founded on the Jesus of history is not just a comfort, it's also a challenge. Because the world around us, the modern culture tells us that fundamentally, um, religious faith is a matter of personal preference. People might care very much about what they believe in, but at the bottom, it's different views about God and the world are like different flavours of ice cream. Some people like vanilla, some people prefer chocolate, some people are all in for strawberry. I don't understand those people. Um, and the thing is, in the same way that it would be crazy to go to someone and say, you are wrong to prefer vanilla to chocolate, you are actually wrong. Or, or to try and persuade them to change, say, you know, have a, look of, have a lick of this strawberry ice cream and then you'll see that you're wrong and it's strawberry over chocolate any day, right? That, that, that feels crazy and wrong. Or, Well, the world around us tells us that in exactly the same way it would be crazy, it would be wrong to say to anyone that their most fundamental beliefs about God and the world are false. To to seek to persuade them to believe something else. Because it's all a matter of personal preference. And insofar as we believe that, we will stay Christians for as long as it works for us, as long as it tastes better than anything else, but no longer. And we certainly won't be active in seeking to share our faith with others. But but the creed simply does not allow us to see things that way. Because we're not saying what we'd like to be true, what we hope is true, what what works for us. We're saying what really happened. It's not a matter of personal preference whether Jesus died and rose again. It's a category. It can't be a matter of personal preference. It's either true or it's not, and it's true. Capital T, true. And that means it's true for everyone. It's true, for, it's true for you. It's true for me. It's true for your friend who doesn't know and trust Jesus. It's 
true for your loved family member who doesn't know and trust Jesus. It's true for your neighbour. It's true for the person you sit next to at work. It is true for everyone. Jesus died. He rose again. But why does it matter that it's true? This stuff happened ages ago. (laughs) Why do these events of 2,000 years ago have enduring significance? Because the Jesus of history is the eternal Son of God. The Jesus of history is the eternal Son of God. That's how this section of the Creed begins. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, God's only Son, our Lord. We say that we believe that the man Jesus Christ, who was born and suffered and died and rose again, is the divine Son who was with the Father and who was God, John 1 verse 1, in the beginning, from eternity. The Jesus of history is the eternal Son of God. And we believe that's who Jesus is because the Bible tells us that's who Jesus is. Have a look at our second reading. So turn, flick forward in your Bibles to 1179, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So the scriptures tell us that Christ Jesus is, verse 6, in very nature God. Truly God, fully God, equal in divinity with the Father. And yet, verse 7, he made himself nothing. Not by leaving behind any of his godness. Not at all. But by humbling himself to take the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In very nature God, true God. In very nature human, truly human. That's the wonder of what Christians call the incarnation, literally the enfleshing of God. And like we saw with creation, if you were here last week, it is a work of the undivided trinity. The Father sends the Son, the Son humbles himself to become a baby conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. Truly God, truly human. And when we look at the Gospels, the record, the, the record of, of Christ's life and death and resurrection, that's exactly what we see. That's exactly who we see, true human, true God. We see a man who experiences everything human beings go through except sin and more, and yet does things that only God can do. I can't put this better than um, the 4th century theologian Gregory of Nazianzus. Um, This is a long quote, but it's, it's a cracker. So here we go. Talk about Jesus. As man, he was baptized, but he forgave sins as God. As man, he was put to the test, but as God, he came through victorious. He hungered, Yet he fed thousands. He thirsted, yet he exclaimed, whoever thirsts, let them come to me and drink. He was tired, yet he is the rest of the weary and the burdened. He prays, yet he hears prayer. He weeps, yet he put an end to weeping. 
He is sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet he buys back the world at the cost of his own blood. He is weakened and wounded, yet he cures every disease and every weakness. He surrenders his life, yet he has power to take it again. He dies, but by death destroys death. He is buried, yet he rises, ascends to heaven, and will come to judge the living and the dead. That is Jesus Christ. That is our Lord, truly God, truly human. And it's because he is both truly God and truly human that Jesus Christ can save us. Only because Jesus Christ is truly God and truly human can he save us. It was only as a human being that Jesus could suffer and die in our place, taking the punishment for our rebellion against God. His body buried, his soul descended to the dead. But it was only as true God that he could rise again, defeating sin and death and ascend to heaven that we might have life eternal with him. Only Jesus can save us because only God is, only Jesus is truly God and truly human. No other God has done this. No other God has become truly human and so Allah or Vishnu or anyone else cannot save. No other human was truly God and so Muhammad or Buddha, they cannot save and we certainly cannot save ourselves. We're not God. Jesus is. And so he can save us. Truly God, truly human. And that's, again, both a comfort and a challenge. It's a comfort to us because it means that we have a saviour. I was thinking about this this morning. I think that that rushes over my head because I'm I'm so used to it. We have a saviour. God has come. We don't have to save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. God has come into our world, born as a man. He's died for us. He's risen again. We don't have to save ourselves. We have a saviour. And so our salvation doesn't depend ultimately on our feelings which go up and down or our our moral performance which goes up and down. It depends on the unchanging truths of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And so the question that matters most is not, how am I getting on this week? Or how good a person am I? It is, do I believe and trust in Jesus? His death and his resurrection. That's the comfort for those of us who believe, for the, to have that firm foundation beneath our feet. But, but the challenge is that Jesus is the only firm foundation. No one else can save. No other God can save. Nobody else can save your friends. Nobody else can save your family. Nobody else can save the guys you sit next to at work. Nobody else can save your neighbours. Nobody else can do it. Only Jesus Christ, truly God, truly human. Have a look with me one more time at um, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 9. Therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place. Gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As the creed says, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. That means everyone. And on that day, 
every knee will bow. At the name of Jesus, verse 10, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Just think about that. Properly think about that for a minute. Every single person you know, every single person you love, every single person you see, every single person in this city will one day be kneeling at the feet of Jesus. And the tragic reality is that for those who are kneeling, who have lived their lives ignoring him, who've not come to him for salvation, they will not be kneeling in joyful submission. They'll be kneeling in horror. And they will be swept away by the just judgment of God. And so if we believe what we say, I'm going to stand up in a minute and say it, right? If we believe that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead, we'll be desperate for other people to know that too. Desperate for other people to build their lives on the only foundation that stands, that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is their Lord and their Saviour. That's why we're running Hope That Lasts, because we want people to come and hear about this hope that, that, that lasts through death and put their trust in Jesus. That's why we're running Christianity Explored off the back of it. We want people to open up Mark's gospel and behold Jesus, truly God and truly human, and say, yes, this is my Lord and this is my saviour. So who could you be praying for? Inviting, it's not too late for this Wednesday, it's January, not, not that much on. Who could, like, people might come. You don't know. And will you join me in praying every morning, Father, please give me a chance today to share the good news of Jesus with someone who doesn't know him. Um, I started praying that on Thursday when I was writing this. Thursday I had a chance and took it. Friday I had a chance and took it. Yesterday I had a chance and bottled it. So God answers the prayer, it's up to us. Let's pray together. Jesus, you're seated at the right hand of the Father. You reign, you're king, you've defeated death. And all we have to do to share in that victory, to know life with you now and forever, is to trust you. And so, Father, I pray for anyone who is with us now, please, when anyone's not yet done that, please, Father, work that they might do that. Put their trust in Jesus. And Father, break our hearts for those who don't know you. Would we mean what we say when we say that you will come to judge the living and the dead? And would that send us out to proclaim this truth, capital T true, that Jesus, truly God, truly human, died for us, rose again, that we might live. Thank you that you do not want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Help us to be part of what you're doing in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.